This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. She was a vampire who could never see the light of day. He was a zombie shuffling his way through the afterlife. Love would bring them together. But human flesh would tear them apart. They were doomed to be on sci-fi and scream. Tuesday nights from 10 on Joy 94.9. Hello, darling. It's me, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, the Vamp of Camp, bringing you the best of the worst. Or is it the worst of the best? And this is Sci-Fi and Squeam on Joy 94.9. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Mitch. Hey, guys. Hey. We're uh, in the studio here and we're going to be talking very quickly about something called Monster Fest, films that bite with one of the organisers, Neil Foley. But before we do that, I uh, just want to welcome Tara. Tara Judah back to the, I was going to say the stage, but back to the studio. Welcome. <laughs> back to the studio. That, that could be a time travel movie. Maybe we could um, yeah. elaborate on that later. Thank you very much <laughs> for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. That's cool. Because we will be looking at science fiction fact versus science fiction fiction, I guess. Uh, we also have some prizes to give away. And um, we, you probably heard Elvira saying welcome to, or Mistress of Horror herself, welcoming you all to the show tonight here on Joy 94.9. Well, on the line, we've got Neil Foley. Welcome to the show, Neil. Thanks, Sonia. So, we're going to have a bit of a chat. You're going to tell us all about something called Monster Pictures and, of course, the Monster Fest Film Festival that's yeah. coming up here in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah, right. sure. Well, well, Monster Pictures uh, is a film distribution company that we started a couple of years ago that mainly does fairly kind of uh, gnarly kind of uh, genre films. Um, mm-hmm. we, we A lot of people will probably know us from um, films such as The Human Centipede 1 and 2, which kind of we kicked the uh, label off with and it caused, you know, quite a bit of kind of, uh, you know, well, a few raised eyebrows. Um, last year we did a film festival which you spoke about on your show called the Fantastic Asia Film Festival mm-hmm. um, and this year we decided to kind of to keep that concept going of doing a, a, a festival with our titles but um, this year we've broadened it out a little bit and we're doing it as Monster Fest and it's uh, 25 films over 10 nights um, a partnership with Cinema Nova and it, it should be pretty amazing Yes. Now you probably heard Elvira, did you? She's one I of did, the yeah. highlights, one of the special guests coming over. Who else have we, well, who else have you got coming? Well, Elvira, as mm. you know, um, and Larry Cohen, who um, is, you know, a very famous uh, writer of uh, and director and producer of numerous uh, B classics, you know, films yeah. such as The Stuff and the Maniac Stuff. which yep. we're screening at, at Monster Fest. Um, Laureen Landon, who stars in Maniac Cop, uh, she's going to be here, and she also she stars in another film called Hundra. Um, a lot of people might know that film from the early eighties. It was a, a really cool kind of um, sword and sandal kind of an epic. Mm. Um, it's sort of like a female uh, Conan kind of a, a kind of a thing. Well, she she'll be here. Cool. We've got Jen and Sylvia Soska, the directors of um, a film that we did last year called Dead Hooker in the Trunk, and they've just 
completed a film called American Mary, which we're using as the uh, closing night film, which is a pretty amazing film. Mm. And, and a bunch of others, really. We've got like a load of directors and, um, you know, sort of actors. We've got, you know, a bunch of, you know, uh, premier Australian films where there'll be, you know, obviously uh, the cast and directors and producers and stuff presenting the film. Yeah. Um, and some more international guests as well. So all in all, it's, a, you know, it's a pretty sort of loaded 10 days. Well, it's a big event, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, what are some of the films? You've mentioned Maniac Cop and the stuff, but there are some Aussie films as well that get their first time, is that right? First yeah, time are. premiering? We've, exactly. We've got, um, there's a film uh, from Melbourne called Ten Metres, yeah. uh, made by a guy called Rory Note that um, won the Did You Spar contest uh, last year. There's another one called The Caretaker. And a really cool sci-fi um, comedy uh, called 25th Reich by a, a Melbourne filmmaker, oh, yes. Stephen Amos, which mm-hmm. is pretty fantastic. Um, we've got uh, another film called um, Muir House, um, which is a kind of a sound footage um, thing set in a haunted house in New South Wales, actually filmed in a genuine, you know, Australia's most haunted house, apparently. Um, and then there's you know a bunch of uh, Australian premieres, a lot of horror stuff. And you know, we're opening with the ABCs of Death, which is, is only just screened only in the last couple of weeks. It, it premiered at uh, Toronto International Film Festival at the Midnight Madness mm-hmm. section there uh, about a week ago, which is pretty incredible. That's um, that's going to be the opening film. And we've got films like, oh, God, we're closing with American Mary. We've got, uh, let me have a look here, we've got uh, Inbred from the UK, Red Ink, another Australian film starring Nick Hope, that people will know from Bad Boy Bubby. Um, we've got uh, a bunch of Asian films, that uh, Japanese films particularly, um, that we, last year, as I said, we did Fantastic Asian Film Festival. This yeah. year, we're keeping that as a sidebar within the kind of the broader festival. And so we've got three um, great new films, uh, one called Zom Video, a kind of a zombie teen kind of a thing, um, another one called Henge, um, another one from the director that we had last year, um, Naboro Iguchi, the people might know from films like uh, Zombie Ass and uh, Zorbago. Um, we've got his new film, um, Dead Sushi. Uh, we've got uh, Clown, God Bless America. Mm. Uh, yeah, a, a Fantastic. Yeah, like yeah, like yeah. a real real a bunch of great uh, sounding, to me, uh, films. Now, as far as where can people go to find out more? And you've got some well, events well, as well that they need to look up. So yeah, they, how can well, they find well, out? Well, they can go to the Monster um, Fest website, which yeah. is at monsterfest.com.au, or they can go to the Cinema Nova website, which is very easy to find. And we have a... Because there's a bunch of events within the festival, so, for instance, there's master classes, there's the Night of the Women, which is a night mm. where Elvira and um, Laureen Landon will host screenings of their films, plus there's a panel, that, and on that panel there's going to be the Tosca sisters, as well as the Gorless girls, um, it's going to be pretty amazing night. So, all of these kind, of, all of these events, there's a premium ticket of, uh, available as well, and we're, mm. we're that, that's only just gone on sale. So, if they go onto the um, the Nova website or the Monster Fest website, cool. all the details about that they'll find ticket. out about that. Great. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're pretty excited, definitely, Neil, because we're hoping to talk to some of those awesome uh, guests that you're you're having to come over. So, yeah. certainly on Sci-Fi and Squeam, um, we will be. Uh 
delving in a lot more. So Good I just want to say, yeah, thanks for um, chatting to us. No worries, Sonia. This Always evening. a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. No worries. Yeah, anytime. All right. Thank you very much, Neil. That's Neil Foley from Monster Pictures. It's sci-fi and screen, Jim, but not as we know it. Enjoy 94.9. One station in all the world, a chosen station. To boldly go where no show has gone before. Sci-fi and scream. On Joy 94.9. Bridge to Shuttlecraft Cochrane. You're cleared for launch. Aye, Captain. See you at warp 10. This is Sci-Fi and Scream on Joy 94.9, and that was Kate Bush, Cloudbusters. And uh, that is quite a relevant uh, kind of song for tonight. If you just tuned in, we are talking about sci-fi and real life and the mix of it all. And just then we had an interview with Neil Foley. Thank you very much, Neil. Later on in the evening, we do have a Looper review because Sonia and I did go and see Looper earlier in the evening. And we also have the lovely Tara, Tara Judah, in the studio tonight. How's it going, Tara? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. And so, yeah, and we also have one more interview later in the evening with Abigail, and she'll be talking about robots that Sonia saw earlier in the week. Mm, Ishiguru as robots. Very interesting. Telenoids, but we'll tell you about that a bit later on. Yeah, and I think, and we have a little bit of music from Queen coming up, and we just had a little bit of Kate Bush and Mm -hmm. Electric Dreams earlier. What was the relevance about the Kate Bush? Ah, yes, because of uh, sci-fi regarding sci-fi and... And real life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, Ellen. <laughs> Dream fell asleep. And um, this song was about a scientist who was um, looking at theories of uh, controlling the weather. Oh, right. And so he started. It was was just, it Tesla? Uh, I can't remember his yeah, name. It sounds like Tesla. I had a link. I had a link. <laughs> you had a link. And, <laughs> and so uh, he was experimenting with like affecting the weather, creating storms, and with, I think it was like elect- electro-pulses. Mm-hmm. And there were just theories, and um, the government, or a government organisation came and arrested him and destroyed all his research, and he died. Oh. And he died for his research. But that, I think, was very re- relevant because it's a very kind of sci-fi idea, being able to control the weather with electromagnetic, and it's very, like, he was a very scientist, and... I think it's reality meeting science fiction because like, it sounds very fictional as well. Yeah, well, there's some great event inventors from the past and I know Tesla and uh, Thomas Edison were at some point foes, but that's another story altogether. Well, maybe Thomas Edison had something to do I'm with this sure guy he getting didn't. killed. No, <laughs> I'm sure that's not the case at all. Remember, could be fiction. We don't know. Maybe. Could be fiction. We'll now, we know. do have uh, Tara here, Tara Judah from The Aster, amongst other things. Welcome again to the show. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, you saw Looper as well, so we're going to chat about I did, yes. what you think of it. Yes, later looking on. forward to having a chat about that. And also, just quickly, we do have a prize. If you did just tune in, we do have a really amazing prize to give away. Message in. You can tell us kind of your favourite sci-fi reality show or sci-fi meeting reality experience or ideas or kind of Ooh. argue with what do we're thinking. Warp. Now, Tara, you were involved with the Astor uh, Cinema. 
and also something called Plato's Cave. What can you tell us about both of them? Yes, well, um, the Astor Theatre has had an interesting and tumultuous year. <laughs> um, yes, we, we, we've recently uh, been through quite a roller coaster, um, as I'm sure most people would be vaguely aware. The um, building was owned by St Michael's Grammar School, um, mm-hmm. and they have been the landlord. And uh, recently, after a sort of public campaign where um, friends of the Astor pleaded with the school to say look there's a lot of support for the cinema and people don't want it to stop being what it is and um yeah. and stop stop being the film icon that it is in in melbourne uh, it's a very historic site it's an important cultural icon for film goers in melbourne and um essentially we didn't want it to become a performing arts center which is what mm. we we think st michael's plans were so uh they have sold uh the building to an individual ralph taranto uh, who also owns um other buildings that house mm-hmm. cinemas <laughs> around right. melbourne so he's a cinema lover and a cinema enthusiast and happy to keep the aster as it is so that's where we're at presently um we're still hoping to negotiate our long-term lease with our new landlord but uh hopefully it'll mean many many years to come of the aster staying where it is as it is and, and as a cinema having and, a home and with marzipan having her home we can't have a, ca- a homeless cat a homeless cat no you can't no definitely not and of course what's great about the aster uh, theater is you know the genre films you get to see them again if you missed them the first time around absolutely um like and in the woods you have played that we did excellent. and we've got it on yeah. again with um drag me to hell as a double feature oh goodness <laughs> i think that's gonna be an interesting <laughs> <be> one <laughs> yeah. and, and you've got plato's cave now that's film reviews and yeah that's like a film that. review um podcast uh yep. that i do with thomas caldwell and josh nelson and uh weekly we chat about films that we've seen and get stuck into a topic and sometimes talk a little bit too long and get a little bit too passionate but it's a lot of fun bit of dissection but yeah. nobody gets hurt no not usually good. <laughs> all right i'm um, just thinking about captain kirk as we spoke earlier how mm. has star trek affected uh real life as sci-fi like just thinking about well, that uh interestingly enough in fact you should say that mitch of course um you probably saw me doing some research I earlier didn't, but i was thinking more <laughs> oh. about the automatic door Oh, don't know about the automatic doors, but warp drive looks like it may become a possibility in the future. It was announced only last week, September the 17th, by NASA that they intend to work on that concept of warp drive or warp speed. So it could be a reality, Scotty. That's I mean, Mitch. <laughs> that's why I put that sound in before. Oh, that's very good. Really good. Now, this Dr. Uh, Harold Sonny White, the Doctor of Advanced Propulsion at NASA, says that perhaps a Star Trek experience within our lifetime could be possible. Remote, but possible. It depends on how old you are right now. Exactly. If you haven't been born yet, or you're in a fetal stage or something. Um, so they've already started work to create one. So that's pretty awesome. And um, with current propulsion technologies they say that interstellar flight is impossible at the moment even with experimental technology like ion thrusters or spacecrafts aft popping uh, pooping freaking nuclear explosions i mean that could be dangerous so it seems to be about money and cost and how much resources and fuel a lot of nuclear energy would be required and the other thing is what would take normally 20 years to get to, say, a certain um, another galaxy would take only two years with warp speed. That seems a long time still, but no, it's an advancement. No, that's actually pretty good. That's, mm. that's a bit of a big step. It's a lot faster. <laughs> it's a lot faster. Um, so, yeah, it's just looking positive, I think. Hmm. 
Yeah, but if we go back to those automatic doors, I'm just thinking yeah. um, we're talking about the kind of reality of, of and the accuracy of science in science fiction films. Um, really, what you'd want with that to be accurate is that the doors don't always open because um, in real life they don't work all the time. They don't. I, 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 had, I had difficulty just recently getting oh. into this building. <laughs> so sometimes the automatic door doesn't recognise you when you stand in front of it. And I think, um, you know, the, the lack of faults sometimes perhaps in science, in science fiction Absolutely. films people standing in front of glass doors waiting for it to open and their manual you've got to push and there's all these people standing there (laughs) waiting for something to happen this Mm. is sci-fi and scream on joy 94.9 and this is sci-fi and scream on joy 94.9 we've had a couple of people going into the running for tech war william shatner's um novel turned into a television series we've got uh firstly it's mia we'd like to enter the draw thanks mia and we've got johnny saying his ex goes warp speed whenever they see me in the street well that's interesting jamie (laughs) says his favorite sci-fi film is barbarella with the lovely jane fonda of course set in the year 4400 hmm love that film i believe they're going to make it into a television series but that could be a bit interesting. I would love that, I think. I think that would be really good. Mm, I don't know how they're going to stretch it, but Jane Fonda won't be in the main role. I think Rose McGowan's been talked about, <laughs> but who knows. <laughs> right, looking at science fiction and uh, reality, Tara, I'm going to throw you in there. Yeah, I'm thinking with science fiction, one of the things that um, – there's a lot of questions that you have to ask about the, the necessary – quality of plausibility um, in the films and I think one part of it is that we need to remember it is science fiction so it has a fictional element and to go along with that has to be some sense of imagination Um, you know you don't want it to be too close to reality or else it's just strictly science Uh, but at the same time there is increasingly uh, definitely with the the trajectory of contemporary films uh, a a real emphasis played on trying to make the science more Mm. realistic uh, trying to make that something that that people don't think oh that's not how gravity works because you know people people have concept of how basic science works um and since 2008 in the US the National Academy of Science has actually launched in LA um a science and entertainment exchange so they have a a kind of set up now where they consult quite heavily with scientists on a lot of the the big blockbuster films that are in production so Mm. you know things like in Thor they they uh consulted with a physicist to about the sequence at the beginning whether or not they should be falling off a disc-shaped world whereas you know the science kind of advice was it should be spherical shaped <laughs> because oh. gravity wouldn't wouldn't kind of work <laughs> in that way yeah, um, and, and that audiences would be savvy enough to to acknowledge that and mm. to know that you know that's that's not quite how things are um, it's interesting to see how much that plausibility has changed over the years because if you go back to kind of 1950s sci-fi um, obviously you know there's lots of stuff in there that just completely doesn't there's d- no 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 regard at all <laughs> no for things like gravity whatsoever. or you know they kind of maybe paid yeah. service to it but I <laughs> mean like, a lot of that to do is to do with the effects as well and the you know how CGI has obviously evolved evolved and, yeah. in such a way that mm. you know they're capable of doing things on film now that you couldn't previously um, I think as long as it doesn't completely defy the basic laws of physics um, probably some imagination and and poetic license with with science is, is you know acceptable. Well, a lot of scientists have been inspired. Lawrence uh, M. Krauss is a scientist and philosopher who's been inspired by Star Trek. So he actually has you know um, refined it and and thought himself that 
it indeed could be a possibility, including time warp and teleportation as something that could be possible in the future. Well, I think also with graphics, just regarding graphics, like back then it was like whatever could be expressed by a string on a green screen, <laughs> like versus today. Or even like the tornado, it was like uh, in Wizard of Oz, it was like... Uh, it was sock. water. Oh, uh, it was a water, yeah. Exactly. They would dye the water, I believe, and swirl <laughs> it down a plug hole. But and so, it worked. Yeah, they didn't go to a time. physicist and say, so if I had oh, this no. water backdrop, <laughs> how could it look real? And they were like, that's, that is real. <laughs> well, I think that too brings up the question of, um, you know, whether or not the, the audience is really contractually, once you kind of enter the cinema and sit down to watch a film, you've agreed to suspend disbelief. Yeah. So you've, you've kind of agreed to go with what the premise of the film is. So there has to be some level too of audiences um, being willing to go along with what the filmmakers mm. are doing. I mean, ultimately they're telling a story. So, you know, is there is there responsibility to the science in the film or is it to the storytelling and to what extent, you know... And Contact you- is a great film uh, with Jodie Foster in it. That was a good film that looked at uh, can we travel through wormholes and move space and time but do we need to actually physically go somewhere? Can we do it in the very dimension that we are in now? And that was one of the questions Carl Sagan put up. I mean, that was based on his uh, awesome uh, film and study, uh, you know, stories and studies that he did as a scientist. Just quickly, um, do you want to intro the um, interview that we have coming up? We've got a little interview here with um, Abigail Moncrief. Now, she's actually a curator at Experimedia, which is here in Melbourne in uh, Swanston Street, of all things, so which is pretty cool. It's more of an event uh, sort of uh, library, almost um, gallery style of uh, uh, feature. Now, she had brought over to Melbourne, Hiroshi Ishiguro, who is the director of the Intelligent Robotics Laboratory, a part of the Department of Systems and Innovations, actually in Osaka University at Japan. And he brought over some of his telenoid robots to that, Melbourne. That was a, quite a mouthful. Good work, Sonia. Phew, that was hard at this time of night, but there you go. <laughs> this is the interview here on Sci-Fi and Squeam. Joy 94.9. Hi there, how are you? Now you're here at the Wheeler Centre and it's for the Hiroshi Ishiguro robots and there's a speech about his technology, his work. Yes, I mean Professor Ishiguro is a leader in his field as a roboticist and I, I, I believe according to his press that he's been named one of the hundred top geniuses in the world. Mm. Um, he's known, he's come here to Melbourne to speak about his robot Telenoid and also his overall practice, obviously here as part of Experiment to Speak to Me. Mm. Um, and we were interested in talking with him because obviously Telenoid is, a, is an empathetic robot. It's a robot with feelings that um, is a Skype mechanism that hopes to connect people over distance. He uh, has a very unusual and quite visionary understanding of technology and we're really fascinated by him and thrilled to present him here. Actually, interestingly enough, the Art Centre just hosted Dr. Ishiguro, Professor Ishiguro a couple of weeks ago. I mean, I think the Wheeler Centre programming and, um, and technology circles, I mean, I think it's a unique visit from a very special scientist. Certainly, I don't know if it's completely out of the question. <laughs> okay. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. How, because we are a science fiction show, of course, what do you know of Ishiguro? Do you know how much he's been influenced by say, writers like Philip K. Dick and, you know, androids in science fiction? You know, it's interesting. I've never really 
talk to him about that. I think he sees his work existing in a very social context. Mm -hmm. um, he's already used his robots, or particularly Telenoid, amongst the elderly. And I see a sort of a therapeutic role for his robots working in society. I think he also um, sees the possibility of Telenoid being adopted across all social spheres. So it's quite interesting, yeah. In terms of his relationship to science fiction, I, I actually don't know. We've never really talked about it. Okay, I was just interested because they are becoming quite humanoid mm. and I guess some people are debating, you know, how far do we go with this technology? Are we making them into subservient beings in their own right? Are they remotely detached or as far as, you know, when you say telenoid, mm. are they remote robots? Well, the telenoid has a sort of an, a non-gentered, very blank canvas kind of appearance and could mm. appear to be any gender, any age, it's very non-specific. But Ishiguro is also known for making robots completely in his own likeness. And there's one that exists that is very difficult to differentiate from the real thing. And I think for him, that's a really interesting point. Mm. What is human, what is robot, are questions that he's really asking. Right, fantastic. And how long does the exhibition run here in Melbourne at your event? Um, Experiment to Speak to Me is at RMIT Gallery. It's uh, opening today. It's open today. It's the first day of the exhibition. and goes until November the 17th, so an eight-week season. That's fantastic because I had a few friends on Facebook saying, where can we go and see these amazing you know, ex experiments, amazing inventions? Yeah, I mean, it's very much a contemporary media art show, so it works across a number of levels. Ishiguro is really... Um, there's a number of other robotic works in the show that people can come and experience. Mm -hmm. um, so look forward to welcoming anyone that wants to come down. Fantastic. Thanks for talking to us, Abigail Moncrief. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you. Why is it that we usually ignore the fourth dimension? You, you see, we can move in the other three. As the doctor said, up, down, forwards, backwards, sideways. But when it comes to time, we are prisoners. Hi, I'm Lawrence Krauss. I'm Foundation Professor and Director of the Origins Project at Arizona State University, a theoretical physicist and author. And you're listening to Sci-Fi and Squeam on Joy 94.9. That's right, you're listening to Sci-Fi and Squeam on Joy 94.9. For anyone who has just tuned in, we are talking about sci-fi and how it affects real life or how real life affects sci-fi, vice versa. And the song we just heard before was uh, Radio Gaga by Queen. And I think this is more relevant because of its um, uh, clips from Metropolis in the video clip. And they use a lot of like reference to Metropolis in the song. So I thought that was actually quite good. And you might have heard a little sound effect. And that was um, a little sound effect from The Time Machine, mm. uh, 1960. Mm. And so that was a H.G. Wells book in 1960. And then... Oh, 1895, and then made into a film in 1960, and it was a very, very popular sci-fi film. But we'll get back to that in a little bit. Um, Sonia? Yeah, well, we also talked off-air about uh, some of the top... Is it top 10, Tara? Um, I found a kind of dubious top 15 <laughs> top on 15. the internet of, of most scientifically accurate science fiction films. Mm. And the number one was one we talked about earlier, Contact. Mm -hmm. um, number two, uh, a favourite of mine, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Yeah, fantastic. And number mm. three, Gattaca. Um, yeah. 
big, Andrew Nichols. Big fans will be pleased to know that Primer is in the top ten. <laughs> and oh. uh, um, The Man from Earth. The woman in the moon um, and moon, actually. Moon. Duncan oh, Jones' moon I'm, makes it just I'm outside 10 at that. 12. Yeah, me Very too. Very pleased with that, actually. It was a slow burner and reminded me of, yeah, a little bit Kubrick-ish. Yeah, absolutely. As, um, and even a little bit like um, Solaris in parts. It was... Uh, Tarkovsky, isn't it? Yeah, Tarkovsky. Have you ever seen... Yes. The whole film? I'm a, wow. I'm a huge fan of that film too. It's a hardcore film, but it it's is. interesting. Now, now we talked about, yeah, 2001. And uh, 2001, to me, I'm surprised that it makes it in the scientifically close to reality. Yeah. For me, personally, it's more mythological, mystical, bit of Joseph Campbellistic. I think the thing about 2001 is that it is everything. I think it, it has it got it a bit of everything. Kind of. Kubrick yeah. just really captures everything in that film on a... I well, Arthur C. Clarke, and they wrote yeah. it together, basically, um, as a premise to the film. So it was written for a film, which was a, a bit of a first for the 1960s when they did it. it and, it, I mean, you know, there's, there's so many layers of things you can read into that film. So, you know, on a metaphysical level, on yeah. a fi- philosophical level, on a, a literal level, there's lots of different readings of the film. But, yeah, apparently the science elements of it are pretty accurate um i think one of the things too that we just mentioned in the break Mm. that's interesting is the symbiosis of science and science fiction and the way in which they uh affect one another so sometimes i think science fiction can you know even influence the the, where science goes you know we, we see a lot of things in film um before they become reality and and then you know we sort of see that 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 technology that's being used in in cinema sometimes starts to become what we're using now i was thinking of virtual reality too, like films like uh, Johnny Mnemonic, which had um, Keanu Reeves made back in the 90s. But the virtual reality aspect is mm. slowly becoming a fact. Absolutely, we, we might even have Total Recall one day where we, we go <laughs> and plug ourselves uh, in. more like the original version, <laughs> the but that's original my opinion. Total Recall. Yeah, I haven't seen the remake. Oh dear. Thinking of uh, Total Recall, that's another thing that's kind of becoming reality is in the original when Arnold Schwarzenegger wakes up, you know, he goes into his kitchen or something and turns on the window. And you can change the channels. Yes. I've seen that actually. That's possible. That's something they're having in like a lot of like the modern day homes. It's yeah, a fake window. It's kind of scary. I think, um, you know, th- there's that other thing too where perhaps, uh, you know, are the films sort of conditioning us to be prepared for technology to come? What do um, they know that we don't uh, know? Orson Welles was, <laughs> always used to talk yeah. about future shock and how, we, you know, we can't cope with the, the, the speed at which technology is actually advancing and it's, it's kind of too much for us. Um, so maybe there's something in seeing it for several years on screen first, becoming somewhat familiar with the concept of what's going to happen mm. Before it arrives, so that so that we're prepared or conditioned. Maybe that's what Star Trek was all about: teleportation and the phasers. Even they're oh, looking yeah. at laser laser guns are very similar. Well, laser gun is very possible. And the communicator. Look at the communicator that Kirk and Spock and cohorts use as a mobile phone. But you know, Steve Jobs was a big fan of Star Trek. And I just have to say, before we go into the next next kind of segment, um, fridges with computers like that. That's kind of like nineties, but. It's updated yeah. a lot now. Like, if you went back, like, <laughs> into the 80s, you'd be like, don't worry, in 10 years you'll have fridges with computers on them that fridges tell you what's talk in there. And yeah. order your food online. They order the food. So it, they do that now. It tells you. And did you know, this is just a silly, trivial <laughs> fact, of course, we're running out of time, but um, so silly fact is uh, uh, Back to the Future, the original time-travelling um, 
vehicle wasn't going to be a car at all. It was going to be a refrigerator. <laughs> oh, I remember this. Yeah. yeah. What, what, I don't know why we know that. I think it was a recent article we read. That would have yeah. been a very different film. Yeah. <laughs> so it's got nothing to do with the kitchen fridge, obviously. But Sonia, what today. time is it? I don't know. What time is it? Ah, right. Dig my notes out. And now, all that's needed is an audience. (laughs) What are we reviewing today? It's Looper. Yes, it's 2042. And wise guy Joe Simmons, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, is on the make. He has a blunderbuster and he executes people who are forcibly time-travelled back to his past, if that makes sense. Uh, They're killed swiftly and methodically um, and the bodies are disposed of in the past because in the future it's difficult to cover up an assassination, execution or a murder. So yep, I've just spoiled the film probably for some people. So spoiler alert everybody. Now we saw this last week, Mitch and I, but Tara was also present I believe. I I was, I saw it too. Um, I actually loved this film. I I, I was a really, really big fan. I quite liked that one of one of the things that they do in this film is not what Primer fans would like, is not get caught up too much in the specifics of time travel and waste too much time trying to explain with it, exposition. It's very much like a... It reminded me of a Western slash gangster film. Yes. The story, but then you're looking at the director. Did you see Brick? You've seen Brick? Yes, I have. By the I director, have, yeah, Ryan Johnson. Yeah, and of course that had... Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in it. Now, this has got Bruce Willis in it, Emily Blunt, Paul Dano, um, Noah Segan, Piper Parabo, and uh, wonderful Jeff Daniels. I don't have a problem with most of the cast. Won't talk about the Blunt instrument a bit later, but... Blunt instrument? Yes. You really liked it, then. (laughs) I did, did, yeah. Um, I thought that it was a well-signposted film um, and that... They didn't get too caught up in, like I said, the jargon of kind of what time travel is. There were some, mm. some good jokes to kind of cover those tracks and excuse itself from having to go with that exposition. Yeah. Um, I'm a very big fan of Joseph Gordon-Levitt and yeah, Bruce Willis. And I think that, that, that both of them in those lead roles um, was were, were very well suited and pretty mm. well cast for this film. Uh, they also did some quite amazing makeup on Joseph Gordon-Levitt to make him look I, more like <laughs> Bruce Willis. And I the whole problem film, I'm with sort that. of thinking, is that... Really, his, Bruce Willis? Is, is, is that how his face no. looks? No. Putty nose. Yeah, look, I had a bit of an issue with the eyebrows and the eye colour. Um, it, it was just hard for me to see uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt inside that role. But I must admit, by 20 minutes in, I was actually enjoying his performance. I started to ignore the makeup, but it just kept coming back. The eyebrows just keep looking a little too dark for his complexion. I, I don't know. But yeah, basically the story of it is a looper is somebody who is like a hitman who basically executes people who are in the future, 2072, I think it is. They come back, there's a payment, they have a hood on their face and the looper or the you know character, Joe Simmons or uh, Bruce Willis, but won't spoil it too much for you, is the person that has to execute them yeah. by payment. Yeah, they're closing the loop. Um, closing the loop, and that's it. 
And I, I like that concept too. I think that, the, you know, the, the concept of this film is really interesting. I, I don't think it's probably, you know, the best film I've ever seen, but I think no. for a blockbuster that it's um, really engaging. I think that uh, I'm curious as to your issue with Emily Blunt. I think we just have to get to it. <laughs> okay, we might get to it in a short time, I reckon. Just quickly. Yeah. Uh, let's have a star rating, Sonia, out of five. I'm giving it three out of five. Out of five? How many? I'm going to go with four. Four? Ooh, four. Okay. I would say three. I'm, I'm, three. I'm on a three. Well, you were sitting next to me and that probably didn't help. <laughs> oh, no. I actually, no, really? I, I wasn't, I, I'm not against it and I'm not for it. I think it's a three. Mm. Like, this is Sci-Fi and Scream on Joy 94.9. This is Sci-Fi and Scream on Joy 94.9. Here we are in the studio. Now, just quickly. So, what was your issue with? <laughs> with who? Oh, we're talking about Looper. Yeah, Looper. Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt. It was the axe. There is a scene there a couple of times where she's chopping a dead stump and she's holding the axe wrong. It was a (laughs) blunt instrument and I just couldn't let go of the fact that... So yeah. this is the issue with where reality is not right in film. It was the way she was holding, holding the, the axe. axe that and what <laughs> she was mangling that tree. I, yeah, I have to agree. She was just, I'm um, like, was she meant to be cutting wood with that tree? Or was she meant to be, was that like metaphor? And the other I, th- issue. I think it's metaphorical. I don't think it's meant to be too literal. Yeah. What did you think of the evil child? Look, you Spoiler know, again, there's an evil <laughs> child in there with well, anger management issues. You know, I think that kid's a really good actor. Um, Scary. That's, that's quite a lot to demand of a small yes. child, and there aren't that many kids who can pull that sort of performance off. Mm. Um, one of the things that I did find slightly distracting is that that's also the kid in season nine of One Tree Hill. Don't ask me oh. how I know that. But he, um, yeah, I thought it, I thought the role was really good, and, it, you know, it's a nice element to the film to have... Um, Again, you know, without spoiling too much for listeners, that 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 connection between the present and the future, um, and that complication of of time, and the way that ties together with well, the central narrative. I did like the first, really like the first twenty to twenty five minutes. Just quickly, uh, the Paul Dano character, his friend Seth, uh, Joe's friend, and the dissolving of that character because of the time uh, interference and sequences. And look, that gave me a bit of a horror start because I like horror. So I was quite intrigued with that. But for me, it lost its way a little bit later. Oops. Um, So coming up next week, what do we have, Sonia? Good question. What do we have? Um, We have got an interview with Steve Dillon, who's the organiser behind something called Oz Horrorcon. Yes, indeed. The first ever uh, horror convention, big horror convention here in Melbourne. So we'll be chatting to him, and that's coming up on next week's show. But the convention is until the 27th of um, October, which is something to look forward to. Halloween coming up and everything else. I think it's going to be yeah. great. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait for Halloween. Have you got your your costumes ready, guys? No, <laughs> I'm really disorganised. Um, maybe I'll just go as myself. That's pretty scary. I might just take a pumpkin <laughs> I'm somewhere. Going, I'm going to be a skeleton. Are you going on the shuffle? It's been announced. It's going to be on the 28th, I believe. Oh, 28th. Oh, yeah, no, but not for the shuffle, shuffle, just in general on Halloween. Oh, a party. Just a Halloween you know, thing. just a party that you go to. I don't know. A living Dead party. Yep. So, so that's next week. I hope everyone listening has kind of been a little bit informed about sci fi and reality. And thank you very much to Neil Foley. Um, thank you to Tara for coming in. Thank, thank you, very, you much. very much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you. For, for to Abigail as Abigail well. Moncrief, that was a really, yep. really great uh, interview. And thank you for everyone listening tonight. It's been a really good, good kind of experience. Th- talk about it amongst yourselves. How is reality? <laughs> like, kind of think about that. I'm ready to teleport myself. 
We're a long way off before Teleport, we can get yeah. that, I reckon. I just hope that I can get out of the automatic door. Yes, yes. It's, an, it's one of those awkward moments when you're just standing there and nothing happens. <laughs> Good night, guys. Good night. Are you prepared for the zombie apocalypse? In case of emergency, break glass and tune in to Joy 94.9 on a Tuesday night for Sci-Fi and Scream. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.